Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 22, verses 1 through 25, called The Valley of Vision. Therefore, in that day, the Lord God of hosts called you to weeping. Can you imagine being called to weeping? To wailing, middle of 12. To shaving the head or tearing out your hair. Some of you might want to mark that. Probably moms (laughs) want to mark that verse. (laughs) And to the wearing of sackcloth. Instead, now this is what I called you to. I called you to actually mourn because... There's a time, Ecclesiastes 3, to mourn. But instead, what did you do? Instead, there is gaiety and gladness, killing of cattle and slaughtering of sheep, eating of meat and drinking of wine. And the people say, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Hey, well, let's do everything that we can do. We'll look for the secret weapons. We'll Try to fix the walls. We'll, we'll reroute the water. Well, did you ever think that maybe God put you in a city where you'd have to depend upon Him by faith and you didn't need to build the tunnel for, to redirect the water because God wants to leave you in a place where you have to lean on Him all the time? No, I don't like that. I like weapon stashes and water where I can get to it. And when we are forced to live by faith, that is uncomfortable. Because then we can't lean on us. We've got to lean on someone else's understanding. Do you see how deeply self-salvation runs in us? It's not the other guy. It's us. We're more comfortable there. We, we like the idea of faith. We like the idea of Christianity. We like the idea of seeing God's arm move, but not when it makes it us, us uncomfortable. Not when he puts us right to the edge of a Red Sea and says, then you're going to have to trust that I'm going to part it. Not when he puts us in front of a Jordan and says, you step in with that ark and then I'll do it. Uh." Not when he says, just walk around the city seven days, blow some trumpets and a couple hallelujahs. What kind of plan is that? We got to do something here. Yeah, obey. And I'll do the rest. I don't know. I think we'll do everything that we can do and then we'll get a little meat, we'll get a little wine and we'll sing a song. Let us eat, let us drink, for tomorrow we die. We'll party like it's whatever year. That's our solution. Did you know that in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul quotes Isaiah twenty-two thirteen? 13? Look familiar to you? It's found in the most famous chapter on resurrection in the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians 15. Go there for a second. 1 Corinthians 15. So in your New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Go to chapter 15. If you want to learn about the resurrection, this is your chapter. Study it because it is a complete treatment on resurrection. But to cut to the chase and to look at the, the quote, here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 32. Oh, go back. <laughs> 31. I protest, 1 Corinthians 15, 31, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. 
1 Corinthians 15, 32. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If there is no resurrection, why did I deal with Demetrius the silversmith and his big group trying to beat me up and get me kicked out and whatever? Why would I ever take a risk for the gospel? Why would the Apostle Paul, pray tell, go all over the Roman world at his own life and peril if there's no resurrection? Then I'll say this to you. If there is no resurrection, if the resurrection is a metaphor for some deep symbolic meaning with the struggle of Rome and Israel and whatever, go do something else. Because if there is no resurrection and Christianity is nothing more than a social club and a glorified one of that, don't waste your time, says Paul. It would be of no human profit for a person to go through what Paul went through if the dead are not raised. If Christ is not raised from the dead, get another hobby. And I, I say that in all seriousness. I'll put my Bible aside and I'll go surf and do something else. I can find ways to fill my Sundays and my Wednesdays. But what I know is Christ is risen from the dead. And that his resurrection is a foretaste of our resurrection. And if he lives, we will live. And if his resurrection is true, then death has been conquered. And uh, death has been swallowed up by life. And immortality and all that the implications of it are brought to light through the gospel. And if it's true, it's worth living and dying for. But if it's not true, then don't play some religious game. Because I'll I'll be candid with you tonight. Religion, in the quote-unquote sense, is a waste of time. If it's just about human endeavor, if it's just about trying to look good horizontally in the eyes of others, I don't care about that stuff. But if eternal life is found in Jesus Christ, if I'm going to pass from death to life spiritually and experience a physical resurrection because of this gospel, if that God who made me and formed me in my mother's womb came into this world to take my shame and pain at that cross, then you bet your whatever you want to call it, your boots, that I'm going to give everything I have, and when I have, I am an unprofitable servant. I've only done that which is required of me. Amen? That's why this quotation is here. Paul says, look, here's the deal. Do not be deceived, 33. Bad company, back in 1 Corinthians 15, corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. If you believe that there is a resurrection, it should change your life. That's the point. Stop hanging out with people who say there's no resurrection and they teach you this false junk because it does no good for you. All it does is corrupt you and bring you down. Go back to Isaiah. All right, how was that for a preacher's rant? (laughs) That's called a sanctified rant. Go back to Isaiah. Were you guys holding your finger there? You beat me. I got to go way ahead in my notes. 14. But the Lord of hosts revealed himself to me, literally, 
You could read it this way, the Lord of hosts has revealed himself in my ears. Just the opposite, ironically, of the people who would not listen. Jesus said at one point to the apostles, let this sink into your ears. Man, we need to hear that. We need to hear what the Spirit says. Surely this iniquity, now notice this, talk about a heavy burden. This iniquity that he's been talking about shall not be forgiven you until you die, says the Lord, God of hosts. And all God's people said, gulp, what? Is this one of those unforgivable sin things? These are the ones that I highlight and circle and underline and call into Bible answer man shows about. What's the deal? The deal is this. What was Israel's major sin? Above all sins. We'd say idolatry, but in essence, what's behind idolatry is unbelief. The only unforgivable sin is the sin of unbelief. Because if you don't believe, then you don't appropriate, and that's a big word that simply means receive the gift of salvation. If you don't have the gift of salvation, your sins are not forgiven. Therefore, you're going to try to stand before God in your own righteousness and self-salvation instead of Yahweh's salvation, and you will be lost. And you will go to this people, and you will say, keep on listening, but you won't listen. You won't let it sink into your heart. You'll honor me with your lips, but your heart will be far from me. And on the day of judgment, there'll be no salvation because you won't come to the God of salvation. It's that simple. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, come, go to this steward, Shebna. Now, we'll move through this quickly, but I think Shebna is going to be a living parable of Israel, who's in charge of the royal household. What right do you have here, 16? And whom do you have here that you have hewn a tomb for yourself here? You who hew a tomb on the height, speaks of he wants permanence, he wants prominence. You who carve a resting place for yourself in the rock, This is Shebna. He's a steward. Look at verse 15. Thus says the Lord of God of hosts, come, go to this steward, to Shebna, who is in charge of the royal household. He's got a big position, and he's asked a question right away. What right do you have here? Or we could say it this way. Who do you think you are, Shebna? Anybody ever hear of Shebna? He's not a guy we study much, is he? But he was in charge of the royal household. He had a big position in Hezekiah's cabinet. And he was a bigwig and he was a proud man. He had prominence. He had all this stuff going on. He, he, built a, he got this hewn tomb for himself. He, he wanted it high up. He wanted it prominence. He wanted to carve a resting place into this hewn rock. He wanted, he wanted a, a place where people would remember his name. And behold, the Lord is about to hurl you Headlong, O man, or O mighty man, he's about to grasp you firmly and roll you tightly like a ball. Wow. To be cast into a vast country. There you will die, and there your splendid chariots will be. You shame of your master's house, and I will depose you from your office, and I will pull you down from your station. Now we move from a rebuke of the nation to a rebuke of an individual. He's got a high office, but he thinks he's all that. Man, make this monument over here. Put my name over here. Make sure that's high up over there. Make sure you got that right. Put my little statue over here. And he's trying to take care of business. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. Who do you think you are, Shebna? Anybody ever hear of Shebna? He's not a guy we study much, is he? But he was in charge of the royal household. He had a big position in Hezekiah's cabinet. And he was a bigwig, and he was a proud man. He had prominence. He had all this stuff going on. He... he Built a, he got this hewn tomb for himself. He, he wanted it high up. He wanted it prominence. He wanted to carve a resting place into this hewn rock. He wanted, he wanted a, a place where people would remember his name. And behold, the Lord is about to hurl you headlong, O man, or O mighty man. He's about to grasp you firmly and roll you tightly like a ball. Wow. To be cast into a vast country. There you will die, and there your splendid chariots will be. You shame of your master's house, and I will depose you from your office, and I will pull you down from your station. Now we move from a rebuke of the nation to a rebuke of an individual. He's got a high office, but he thinks he's all that. Man, make this monument over here. Put my name over here. Make sure that's high up over there. Make sure you got that right. Put my little statue over here. And he's trying to take care of business. And God says, you know what? Shebna is indicative of the whole nation. The whole nation makes it about them. They get a high office, and guess who it's about? That high office is not seen as, hey, I'm going to glorify God with the office I got and try to honor him with the years that I have in that office. Instead, Shebna said, no, it's about me. And God said, 17, oh yeah? I'm about to hurl you headlong. (laughs) Oh, mighty man. I'm about to grasp you firmly and roll you tightly like a ball. Now, some of you said words like this in your fighting days, didn't you? It almost makes you think of a piece of paper that gets rolled up and tossed away. And there you're going to die. I'm going to depose you from your house. And then it will come about in that day, 20, that I will summon my servant Eliakim. Eliakim's name, interestingly enough, means God will raise him up or God sets up. The son of Hilkiah. Now, I want you to see something interesting here. Some people see in Eliakim a type of Christ. I want you to see the language. I won't push it too far. But I want you to see what happens is Shebna thinks he's all that and he's trying to make a name for himself. And God deals with him and says, I'm going to depose you and I'll put another guy in that means the Lord sets up or the Lord God raises up. God puts down one leader and what does he do? He raises up another. Now watch how it flows. I will clothe him with your tunic. He's talking now to Shebna and saying, Elikim is going to get your clothes. I'll tie your sash securely about him. I will entrust him with your authority He will become a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And then I will set the key of David on his shoulder. When he opens, no one will shut. 
And when he shuts, no one will open. Now we'll look at that in a little bit more detail in a moment. We're almost out of time, so let's move through the rest of the verses. I will drive him like, drive him like a peg in a firm place. A tent peg is the picture here. He will become a throne of glory to his father's house. I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. And uh, that was, I just read from the King James, the New King James, or King James. And so they will hang on him all the glory of his father's house, offspring and issue, all the least of vessels from bowls to all the jars. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, the peg driven in a firm place will give way and it will even break off and fall back to Eliakim now. And the load hanging on it will be cut off for the Lord has spoken. Go to Revelation 3 and we'll finish up. Now, I told you I didn't want to push it too far because it goes back to Eliakim and it says anybody who tries to put their weight on a human leader, eventually that picture a nail, that nail is going to give way. It can only take so much. You can only hang so much on a human being being able to do stuff for you. And then at some point you have to say, that nail, is this going to break? That is humanity. Every flower falls. Every piece of grass eventually dies. So don't hang your hat on nails that are going to give way, on things that will not last, but rather on Jesus. Now, Revelation 3, and we're done. Revelation 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God, Revelation 3, 1, and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. If therefore you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has what? The key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. The key of David is an interesting concept. Eliakim got it seemed to be the key to the royal household, the palace. seemed to be the place. The keys gave authority, entrance, um, the, the power to, uh, to do certain things in an official capacity. And when it says that Jesus has the key of David, he has the entrance into what? Into the Father's household. He has the keys of Hades and of death. Jesus is the one that's in control. No one else who said, kill my body and I will raise it the third day, did it, people. Houdini said he was going to do it. He has not called back. His followers met for a while on Halloween night and they are no longer meeting because Houdini couldn't escape death. Only one man could. 
It was impossible for death to hold him because he is the archegos, the author of life. And if he lives in you, you have life. And you have been given keys as well. What key do you have now? The times that you share the gospel with others, the door of salvation is open. The keys of the kingdom have been entrusted to the church of Jesus Christ. And when we proclaim the message of the gospel, it's the power of God to salvation to open the door to lost souls to come in and find life in the presence of the king. Do you believe that? That's what we have. And that's the most important thing that we have. If you don't have the right key, you ain't getting in. You want to be with the guy who has the keys. Jesus has them. So stay close to him. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the people tonight. Thank you for Isaiah, though he had, man, he had a heavy, heavy job to do. And we're going to get into into some more light sections of this book. But this first part, Lord, of this book, it's just heavy. But it's real. It's reality. And you sent your messenger to tell people, there's hope, but you got to turn to me. Turn to me and be saved. And Lord, forgive us for the many times that we've trusted in horses and chariots instead of the name of the Lord. We've run into other refuges instead of you. We've trusted in the wrong things. We've trusted in ourselves. Thank you that you have saved us, called us, opened the door of salvation to your Father's house, cleaned us, set us apart, washed us in the blood of the Lamb, and said, I've got a mission for you now. You are now going to proclaim this message of hope to the world. Some will hear you and some will believe. Some will reject. But your job is to preach it. And so, Father, help us to both live it and preach it. Encourage your saints with that holy calling that they have, Lord. Let us be faithful to it. Let us um, redeem our time. You've been listening to The Valley of Vision, Part 3 on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 22, verses 1 through 25. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. And just so you know, we have free apologetic events coming up, and we would love it if you would join us. They're called 633, based on Matthew 633. Pastor Michael invites special guests, professionals in their fields, to talk about hard topics that affect the culture. In the past, we've had guest speakers that have talked about the issue of racism, the COVID-19 pandemic, suicide, and how we as Christians can talk about those issues. You can watch those talks and many others on our free Living Truth app. And having the app on your phone or tablet will help because you'll be the first to know the details about our upcoming events. If you live outside Southern California, you'll still get to be a part of our 633 events because we live stream them. And with the app, you can participate in our question and answer portion of the event. Learn more about 633 when you download the Living Truth app. It's the one with the red logo with the pillars or by visiting walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. I'm so glad you're listening. Hey, from what I understand, we have uh, more podcast listens than I think any time in our history. And it sounds like a lot of you are interested in the book of Isaiah, which is awesome. It, it, it does my heart good to know that so many people are interested in the depth uh, of this incredible book. And, you know, I know uh, as a radio program, you know, this may not be the typical stuff that you hear, 
this is not a series on marriage, for example, but it is very profitable for us to understand all these nations around Israel, how God dealt with his people, and the promises that are embedded in this amazing book of Isaiah. So glad you're listening. This is Pastor Michael Lance. Hey, uh, if you'd like to know more about the ministry, walkintruth.com is our website, walkintruth.com. And my sense is right now that some of you just need prayer. So if you're driving, would you keep your eyes open? But I just want to pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for our amazing listening family. Thank you for our partners. Thank you for all of those who name the name of Jesus, all of those who have the hope of the gospel, and all of us who are serving our Lord as the body of Christ. Oh Lord, forgive us for our national sins and our sins as a church. We repent of them. We would love to see you bless our nation, our churches with revival in 2022. And I know as we read Revelation 2 and 3, Lord, you call upon your churches to repent. Give us ears to hear in this moment what the Spirit would say to us. Help us to hear your voice and to follow you faithfully. Thank you for loving us so faithfully. Bless that brother, that sister out there who's hanging on, fighting the good fight. Strengthen them. Give them hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events too. Please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. You can donate at walkintruth.com. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.